But look, we've started a new series, or we're almost at the end now, of a new series called Church 01, uh, looking at what is it that made the church so successful, so resilient over the last couple of thousand years. Uh, we've seen that the church is the hope of the world, and hopefully we're seeing that the greatness of the church actually is, uh, is up to us more than we sometimes realize that it is. And we've talked about the importance of devoting ourselves to the things that God tells us to do. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. We're going to dive back into Acts chapter 2 uh, again, and we're going to tease out a little bit more. But let me start off today by telling you about a guy I know, not part of our church. Uh, he calls me from time to time. Uh, he's a good guy. Uh, he's, he's a friend. Um, his wife's lovely. She's a smart lady. Um, but you know what? If I'm really honest, I, I've realized that I think that he's a little different to me. And, and what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to be really honest because, you know, I think that it's really healthy for us all from time to time to be really honest about where things are at with us. And, and I've realized that if I'm completely brutally honest, that in some sinful, prideful part of me, I think I think that I'm better than him. I think I think that I'm smarter than him. And, you know, if you were to look at this guy's CV and his list of achievements and accomplishments, there is nothing on that that would suggest that I am either of those things. But I've realized that what it, what it means is that when he presses in and wants to invest more in the friendship, I find myself strangely leaning the other way. And it's led me to ask, what is going on here? And I've realized that if I'm really honest, I struggle with fellowship sometimes. <clears throat> and I've realized that I have three criteria. The first criteria that I have for fellowship is I want everybody to be like me. To think the way I think, to see the things that, that, that I think, to see the things that I see. Secondly, I've realized I want everybody to like me. So if someone doesn't like me, it's like that, that then is a problem for fellowship. And then thirdly, I've realized that I want to like them as much as I want them to like me. And if these three criteria are not met, then somehow at some sort of deep unconscious or subconscious level, I believe that our connection uh, is limited. And therefore, if our connection is limited, then I won't invest and then I won't continue and I won't persevere. And this won't be something that I will be devoting myself to, as wrong as that is. And, and I suspect that maybe it's not just me in this place. Maybe that all of us, in some way, shape or form, have some sort of criteria. Maybe it's two criteria, maybe it's four criteria. I don't know, but maybe we all have some sort of internal criteria that we judge our relationships against. And then based on that judgment, we will either lean in and press into that relationship or we will pull back and lean away. And this is a problem. Because, you know, those judgments, if we're honest, those judgments, they're the heart of what racism is. That's the root of what elitism is and all those other isms. It's the root issue uh, in hatred that divides people, right? We see this as far back as Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Cain looks at Abel. Uh, Abel thinks he's better than me. In fact, I think God thinks that Abel's better than me, and therefore I want nothing to do with Abel. And ultimately that led to hatred, which led to murder. And that's what I love about God's Word. This is where Jesus speaks so accurately to the human condition. This is where His commands and His warnings and His instructions speak to those things that divide us and diminish us. 
and make us powerless. So let's dive back into Acts chapter 2 again and read through this again and let's see if we can tease some more, uh, some more out today that will help us in our individual journeys. Verse 42, it's in your notes, you can read it today. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Father, I pray today, Lord, as we, as we spend a little bit of time uh, on this topic of fellowship, Lord, that for each one of us here, God, you will enable us, God, to grow up into you, to become more like Jesus, God, to maybe get a fresh revelation of what it is you require of us in this day. Lord, I pray your blessing on everyone gathered here in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, the problem uh, with what we're talking about today is not God's lack of decision. It's our lack of decision. The apostles devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to build lifetime habits of certain key powerful practices. And one of the things that they devoted themselves to was fellowship. Now, our English word fellowship is the translation of the Greek word koinonia. And the Greek word koinonia is derived from the root word of koinos, which actually in the Greek is a prefix. So they would put koinos onto other words. So, for example, if uh, that prefix was put onto a word that meant living, then the word combined would mean living together. If the word, uh, if the prefix was put onto a word meaning owning a shared bank account or a shared purse, uh, sorry, or, or having, having money or having a purse, then it would mean having a shared purse or a shared bank account. If that was put on to the word dispute, it would mean a public dispute or a dispute involving many people. So the root of the word fellowship means to own something in common. It means to do something or participate in something together. And Jesus allows us to see that one of the works of the indwelling Holy Spirit is that people come to a place of realizing how important fellowship is and they become willing to take time to invest into that. That's what we see in Acts chapter 2. And the problem is, is that what God sees then in regards to us devoting ourselves, unfortunately, often is in conflict with those criteria we discussed before, right? That, that I, I just want to have fellowship with people who are like me. I just want to have fellowship with people with those that I, that I really like and that I think really like me. But those criteria, they don't sit well with what God says about this incredibly potent and powerful habit that the Spirit-filled believers engaged in on a daily basis. You know, as I was thinking about this issue this week, I was reminded of a uh, recent television phenomenon an American sitcom called Friends. Anyone ever seen Friends or watched Friends? Give me a wave if you've watched Friends. Okay, that's good. I think my kids have watched like every episode. Uh, and I'm like, don't watch that stuff. It's rubbish. But uh, they don't always listen to me, unfortunately. I'm not sure if anyone else has that experience as well. It's a fascinating program. It ran for 10 seasons. It's ranked as one of the uh, top 
most popular television shows of all time, of all time. And what's it about? Well, it's about a group of friends. It's a pretty simple concept. But what struck me most was not how similar these friends are, these young 20-something-year-olds who are living in New York City, but what struck me was how different they are. You have Rachel, cut off from her wealthy family, working in a cafe. You've got Monica, a New York City chef. You've got Phoebe, who's a musician and a part-time masseuse. You've got Joey, who's a struggling actor. You've got Chandler, a business professional. And then you've got Ross, who's a newly divorced paleontologist, of all things. But the differences don't end there. And this is where it gets really intriguing. Rachel is confident and extroverted. Monica, however, is OCD and quite neurotic, and she, like, has her things, and they must be done that way. Phoebe is a real free spirit and not too perceptive of what's going on around her. Uh, Joey is a complete chauvinist, uh, the eternal optimist, and utterly charming. Chandler is the pessimist of the group and devastatingly witty. And then Ross, who's all hard. He's all hard on his sleeve. He's just looking for love the whole time. So what's the magic of the show? The magic of the show is interesting. You know, when Joey doesn't have a clue, or Monica is frighteningly pedantic, or when Chandler is bitingly sarcastic, or when Phoebe completely misses the point again, they don't get fed up with each other and drift away. They get frustrated, sure. But what they do is, when they get upset, when they get wound up, when things aren't going well, they roll their eyes, but at the end of the day, they are friends. They have devoted themselves to each other. And then they have the awkward conversations. They say things sometimes that they don't really mean. But then what they do is they say sorry and they make up and they get on with it. And here's the thing. Millions and millions and millions of people around the world watch that program and just wish they had friends like that. Completely missing the point that they can have friends like that if they will devote themselves to friendship, to fellowship, like those ones do on the program. You see, it's not about being the same. Having deep, Holy Ghost-filled, meaningful, life-giving fellowship is not about being the same. It's actually about being different. And when we see this revealed in a fascinating metaphor that God gives us to explain fellowship in his church, let me give it to you in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. Peter says this, he says, As you come to him, talking about Jesus, the living stone, a metaphor that he's using to help us understand a little bit more about who Jesus is, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, now he's talking to us, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, this has always intrigued me, this passage. You see, Peter d describes us, the church, using this metaphor of, of stones or rocks, um, that, that we are being built by God into a house where each of us is a stone in a stone wall. That is what, what 
that's what the metaphor is. I mean, what does that even mean? What that means is, it means that our relationships built on the spiritual reality of Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit, what, what it means is, is that because of that, that causes us to hold together, to support one another, to be a safe place that shelters others, that becomes something of great substance in the world. In fact, something that non-believers will look at and go, oh my gosh, I want that. You see, the church is meant to be the friend's for the world. By this, by this all men will know that you're my disciples. Remember? By the love you have one for another. Now, let's take a look at this metaphor a little deeper. You see, like any metaphor, like uh, any prophetic word, like any dream, uh, there are two or three key aspects of a metaphor on which the interpretation hangs. Uh, And in in this metaphor, it's no different. And so if we look at at a stone wall. Uh, I was out for a run yesterday. went past a beautifully built stone wall with all the stones interlocking. There are some very important things for us to realize. You see, the method of construction of building a stone wall relies on the stones fitting together with a minimum of mortar. And the more skillful the builder, the less mortar is required. So if you go past a stone wall, you see hardly any mortar and the stones will fit together tight. That was a skillful builder who built that. If you go past a stone wall and there's like huge, big, wide chunks of mortar around it, that took a whole lot less skill to build. And that means that the stones must interlock. Now, bricks overlap, and that's important. But stones are quite different from bricks, right? Because they're all different. Each is unique. And the builder's skill comes from fitting the right stones together so that the wall has strength. And one of the key things that it leverages is friction. Sometimes we spend our whole lives trying to eliminate friction from our lives. When God is saying, actually, some of that friction is part of the magic that makes great friends great friends. You see, a builder of stone walls is looking for one thing. Stones that are different but which will fit together. Let me say this. The builder of the church is looking for one thing, people that are different, but who will fit together. And so the word we find coming from Acts chapter 2 today is, will you devote yourself to fellowship, to fitting together with others that are a little bit different from you? Trusting that the builder is able to position us because not every stone is meant to be in proximity with every other stone. It's so interesting that Jesus had 12 disciples and yet of those 12, there were three that were closest to him that were his primary support. And so it is, if you look in a brick wall, you can often see a a stone, not a brick wall, a stone wall. There'll be a stone there that tends to be supported by maybe three or maybe four stones, but it will be in wider contact with 10 or 12 stones. And so you... So it is with us, with fellowship. For most of us, we'll have two or three that for some reason are particularly close to us and then there'll be others that fit around us and they're part of our world. But what's intriguing is you look at one of those ones that are close to us and they will have a slightly different three to us. And each one of them will have a slightly different three. And and that intrigues me because that's exactly what I find in real life. God's metaphor is so accurate. You know, when a builder finds two stones that are, he thinks, yeah, these are going to fit together. But they don't quite fit. 
what will he do? He'll rub them against one another to rub the rough edges off both, both the slight unevennesses so then they fit together with a small amount of mortar to stick them in. And there's a lesson for us today, ladies and gentlemen. You see, fellowship is essential in this life. Fellowship is essential. And I'm telling you today, your experience of life will be in deficit if you do not intentionally engage in fellowship with a group of others. We each need to make the decision to gosh darn it, whether I'm comfortable with it or not, I'm going to devote myself to fellowship with a bunch of others and making, to make that a habit. And if we're going to do that, we need four things. Number one, we need a time. You've got to do this regularly. Now, I'm a big fan of weekly. I, I, I tend to find when I do stuff fortnightly, you know, you just have to miss one and it's been a month and you miss two and it's been more. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do it fortnightly. Some groups do it great. Some small groups are brilliant at doing it fortnightly, but there's got to be regularity. Secondly, you need a place, a clearly defined place where you come together. Now, some groups move that around, but there's still just a few places, but you've got to work out what that place is. Thirdly, you need a group. A few others that you commit yourself to. Church is so good for this. Small groups are powerful for us. And then you need a reason, a purpose in your coming together. And what can be powerful in that is a ritual. And communion, breaking bread, is such a powerful ritual. And that's why we encourage every small group to build communion and breaking of bread in as part of what you do. And let me say, that doesn't have to be little, little plastic bits of juice and nicely cut up bits of Wonder Bread. I mean, if back in the day, if these guys could do communion, if they would break bread around a meal and a glass of wine and a, and a chunk of bread that they broke up, I can't see any reason why you can't do communion over a glass of beer and a pack of chips. Because it's not about what you eat, it's about what it represents. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, let's, let's just let, let the religious things fall aside for a moment. It's about creating a sacred moment that we build around Jesus. That's what it is. And this, I'll tell you why this is so powerful. Because if I'm honest, I like to build my world around me, as sad as that may seem. And I think a lot of us do that. And that's where a ritual like communion is so powerful because it reminds me that we're building this around Jesus, not around me. You should do communion in your small groups. Small groups are all about choosing to devote yourself to a bunch of people for a season and I'm telling you, it can be life-changing. And I want to say this to you. Some of us have tried small groups, and it just hasn't worked. Well, here's my advice. Try again. Let me read you an email that was sent to me. This is from a girl, in a, uh, not in this church, but a girl in a previous church that I pastored. And I have her permission to share her email. And I'm just going to... So a little bit of background first. So a number of years ago, we had this young woman in our church. And she came in and did an internship. And, um, and then... Uh, due to some conflict stuff that went on, got really, really hurt um, through that whole process. It was really quite challenging. Uh, as a result, she kind of drifted from God, made some bad decisions, got into some bad relationships. She had a dream. Uh, her dream was to fly airplanes uh, for a missionary organization called Mission Aviation Fellowship, and she kind of began to let that go. She was just kind of hanging in there with church and in her relationship with the Lord. And then after struggling for years to find her place, she finally took the plunge one more time and joined a small group. And I got this email from her about a year after she did that. 
Let me read this to you. Um, Recently, due to certain events, I came to a place where I felt loveless, abandoned, and distrustful of both God and man. I cannot recall another time in my life when I felt as broken as I did then. At that time, I wasn't sure if I would ever get to a place of trusting either God or other people again. However, in the midst of all this, I discovered something truly amazing and something I have never before experienced. I was at a point where I didn't know what to do or where to turn. I still remember writing the simple email to this particular small group leader and hesitating, clicking send, because I didn't know what the response would be to my request for help. So often I've met Christian people who help others because it's their duty to do so, and I was afraid that that's the response I would receive. Well, I have been blown away. These beautiful, godly women have stuck by me, loved me, held me up in prayer through it all in a way that was most obviously not out of duty, but because they genuinely cared. And I am truly grateful to the Lord for Him giving me the opportunity to get to know them and do life with them. What a difference it makes, she writes, when it is more than just a meeting, more than just a Bible study, but real, raw life, good and bad, beautiful and ugly, doing life together no matter what comes our way, sacrificing time and energy to just step out and love one another as Christ always intended. That's what small groups are about, and that has now been my experience. She says, I once believed I just didn't fit the life group mold or the small group mold, but now I believe it's just about finding the right small group. I was hungry for real fellowship where the walls come down and people can be real with each other, where there's not just talk but action attached to it, where the Lord is kept center stage through it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And now I have found just that and I would not trade it for the world. Throughout the year, I've witnessed our small group of women stick by one another through some really tough times. For example, when, I won't give the name, when one of their small group uh, attendees uh, passed away in a tragic accident. Um, And really amazingly joyous times, for example, when one of their girls got engaged. And I enjoyed the fellowship and I felt acquainted with them. But it wasn't until the bottom fell out of my own world that I realized what an amazing group of women I really am blessed to be a part of and share life with. Being in this life group is the first time ever in the history of my Christian walk that I felt like I fitted, like I belonged somewhere in the Christian world. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? You know, what also has been beautiful is that that young lady has now gone on and pursued her dreams and and is currently flying uh, airplanes for Mission Aviation Fellowship up in the Northern Territories of Australia. Uh, transporting pastors and leaders and dropping aid in at remote places uh, and is pursuing the call of God in her life. God is so good. Let me finish up today just by talking a little bit about something that I experienced earlier this year. Some of you may know we, we shifted house. We're renting a house in kind of Iraqi on the edge of where we were there. And I have, I have four or five boxes of junk. I don't know if anyone else has got boxes of junk. I have literally dragged these boxes around since I was 18. I just, we can move somewhere, I stick them in the garage. It doesn't bother me. I close the door, I forget they even exist. For my lovely wife, it is the bane of her existence. These boxes of junk I drag around. You know, any ladies in the house going, amen, and I'm feeling that. Okay, 
So, you know, shifting house, it seemed the appropriate time for me to finally begin to go through some of these boxes. And so I opened one of these boxes, and as I was going through it, to my astonishment, because I literally have no idea what's in them, uh, I literally, I, I found a whole stack of letters that were sent to me by my buddies after I left school and went to university. So I'm reading all these letters from my mates, who most of them had stayed back uh, in my little New Zealand, uh, our little hometown, and I'd gone to the other end of the country. And so these are the letters that they wrote to me, and we corresponded through much of that first year at university. And what stunned me when I read them was how incredibly important relationship was to me back then, and I had totally forgotten. It was, like, it was like everything in my world was about relationship. Task was irrelevant. Varsity was almost irrelevant. Schoolwork was irrelevant. I mean, I don't know if you remember being 18, but at 18, it's just all about your mates. It's all about what's going on in that part of your world. And man, it was, it, reading these letters again, I mean, for starters, I was appalled at our language. Um, but I was deeply reminded of the love that we had for one another, the camaraderie and the commitment we had to one another. And then I got to thinking, what has happened? What has happened in my world in the ensuing 30-something years? And I got my computer out, and I just whacked this up on there. And I think this is exactly what has happened. I think this, is really, this has been very profoundly insightful for me. Because over the years of my life, I've realized that as my commitment to the tasks in my life, you know, my career, the jobs that I've had, the things I've been involved with, further education, that as those things have risen in priority throughout my life, sadly I realized that my commitment to fellowship and to relationships has gone the exact opposite way. And now I find myself at this point in my life where my life is built around tasks. Even my relationships are task-related relationships by and large, if I'm honest. And here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. The problem is that one of these days, my tasks are going to finish. My career is going to end. And when it does, what, do I, what am I going to have left? And I have been profoundly impacted by this command that it's actually up to me to devote myself to fellowship. And I've realized I need to do it now. What about you? Will you devote yourself to fellowship? If you are not in a small group, can I encourage you? Get in one. Find one. Start one. If you are in a small group, can I encourage you? Devote yourself to those ones in your group at a different level because there is something about God's kingdom plan for reaching the world that is built into how we do fellowship with one another. Amen. Let me pray for you. Mighty God, I thank you, Lord, for your word to us today. Thank you, God, that you knew how important fellowship was for us, Lord. In fact, we're made in your image, a triune God. Lord, we need one another. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us here today that you will open doors for us. God, that as we devote ourselves to these ones around us, some very different from us, God, that you will grow and mature us, that you'll make us better, and that you will enable us to find the richness, God, of fellowship among people who are different from one another, as has always been the case. Lord, I ask your blessing on us. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.